Bible in front of you, I would invite you to turn with me to Romans 1 and verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. So on Tuesday afternoon, as everyone here will, will be fully aware of, the Church of England... They voted against the appointment of women bishops, didn't they? And what became abundantly clear in the aftermath of that vote, in that incredible media outcry, that outcry on Twitter and uh, on the internet and even in Parliament, is something that we've all known for a while now. And that is that in this country... Christianity is an absolute laughingstock. Christianity is something that is just held up to be ridiculed. And as Christians, we feel that, don't we? It puts us in a kind of really difficult, it puts us in an almost embarrassing situation with our work colleagues and with our friends and even with some of our family members. And in the face of that ridicule, we can be tempted to do something. In the face of the ridicule, we can be uh, tempted to steer clear of any contentious areas of our faith. We can be tempted to really avoid any talk of issues that, that fly in the face of society around us and If what we're looking at this morning, man alive, are we confronted with one of these contentious, potentially difficult, and potentially embarrassing issues? Because let's be honest, in the wrath of God, the wrath of God, it is something that embarrasses us as Christians. It's something that we don't talk about. When was the last time you talked to a work colleague about the wrath of God or a family member or even in our churches? How often do we really talk about God's anger and his wrath at sin? So are we really going to do that today? Are we, in this congregation, in the 21st century, in modern Britain, Are we going to talk about the wrath of God? Well, yeah, we are. Why? Well, because regardless of whether it meets a a, a liberal agenda, regardless of whether society views it as, as PC or not, we're going to talk about God's wrath because God's word tells us that his anger, it is a reality. The Bible, the Bible doesn't hide God's wrath. The Bible isn't embarrassed about it. And today, hopefully, hopefully we will see that God's wrath is not something that should make us cringe. But it is something that should drive us to praise. Something that should drive us to praise our God. But let's not get ourselves because let's 
pause and think about what we've got here. What have we just read? What's Romans? Um, Well, the basics are that, that Romans is, of course, a letter. And it is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he writes to a church, the church in Rome. And the content of that letter, the purpose of that letter, is to provide an in-depth, a kind of detailed explanation of the gospel. Sets it out in a detailed way. What one commentator called a kind of Christian manifesto. That's good, that sums it up. Romans is a kind of Christian manifesto. So let's look at it, and let's look at this opening chapter and this verse here, and let's approach with caution and this controversial subject, the wrath of God. And we'll do it slightly differently to the way we normally do it. Because in the free church, what do we normally do? We normally have three points or three headings, don't we? But today it's just slightly different to that. Today what we'll do is pose a series of questions and then attempt to ask them, answer them. So a series of questions, four questions, I think, we have time, and then we will try and answer them from this text. And the first question is this, okay? The first question, very simply, what is the wrath of God? What is the wrath of God? And to answer that, the first thing that we need to know is this, that, God, that wrath is God's personal response to evil. We all got that? Wrath is God's personal response to evil. Because look at verse 18. Verse 18 doesn't say that wrath is, re- is being revealed from heaven. It doesn't say that. It says the wrath of God. It is of God. It is his personal response to wickedness. Now that's not a popular view and uh, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. And throughout the centuries from uh, a heretic called Marcion in the second century, from from him right through to the modern day in the likes of uh, C.H. Dodd, people, theologians, they have always tried to depersonalize God's wrath. They say that any notion that God is actually involved in anger, that he's actually personally involved in wrath, that's a a nonsensical idea. It is archaic. You know, it's a barbaric suggestion. See, they, they view wrath as an impersonal force, a kind of inevitable effect of nature. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? That's not how the Bible portrays God's wrath. God's wrath in Scripture isn't separate from God. It's not a separate force. It is God in action. Wrath is God's personal response to evil. And a second answer to the question, what is wrath, is this. Wrath 
is an aspect of God's perfection. Wrath is an aspect of God's perfection. What on earth does that mean? Well, a lot of people don't like talk of anger in relation to God. You know, we saw last week when we were looking at God's love that a lot of people... They they like the idea that God is love. They like a suggestion that it is his foremost attribute. And if God is love, how can he at the same time be angry? If he's love, how can he be full of wrath? And on the surface of things, that sounds okay, doesn't it? You know, that sounds like an understandable objection. Because when we think of anger, we think of it in human terms. We think of uh, anger from a human point of view. We think of it as passionate, don't we? Anger as a kind of unrestricted or unconstrained response to something. You know, our anger or our wrath is when we get hit up in the heat of a moment or we act in a way that, that we very, very often regret. And even when we talk of righteous anger... Man's righteous anger. Well, that's subjective, isn't it? And one thing's for sure is always stained by sin. So human anger is volatile and it is dangerous. But again, look at verse 18. You see, the wrath that is being revealed against us, where is it from? It is wrath being revealed from heaven. It's from heaven. And that's there to remind us that this is God's anger. This is divine anger. And it is entirely separate to a human response to things. Because God's wrath, it's not like ours. It's not temperamental. God's wrath isn't impulsive. It's not a vindictive in any way, shape or form. God's wrath, get this, God's wrath is his holy opposition to evil. You got that? It is his holy opposition to evil. And I'm still very much a stranger to the heart of London and this part of the world. I'm still trying to get my geographical bearings around the church, but I'm pretty sure that somewhere around here is the Old Bailey. I see a few nods. It is somewhere around here. Yes, okay. Um, And the Old Bailey, for a lot of people, it is a symbol for pride. It's a symbol for pride in the British judicial system. And so you can imagine the outcry that there would be if there was a shift in the British judicial system and that suddenly the Old Bailey and courts throughout the land started turning a blind eye to crime. Imagine the outcry if the Old Bailey was to dismiss murderers and people who assault and thieves and, and, and child abusers. And do you see that Such is God's 
goodness, such is God's purity, such is his holiness and his justice, that he does not and he cannot turn a blind eye to any form of sin, of evil, of wickedness, of impurity. He does not do that. He cannot do it. God is just so good and pure that he must punish evil. He must punish evil. Such is his goodness that God does not dismiss any evil. So what is the wrath of God then? It is uh, his personal response to evil. We've seen that and uh, it was his, is an aspect of his perfection. But let's move on quickly. Let's get to a, a second question this morning and it's this. Who is the wrath of God poured out against? Who is the wrath of God poured out against. Well, we're told again, verse 18, we're told, we're told the focus of God's wrath is against the godlessness and wickedness of men. Okay? Now that sounds fair enough. I think if we were to go out into Oxford Street, if we were to go outside even here and speak to society and speak to people we met, um, we were to say to them, God's wrath is poured out against the wicked. People are going to be happy with that. People are going to accept that. Okay, wicked people deserve to be punished. But the problems start when we try and establish who that covers. Who are the wicked in the eyes of God? Well, I don't know if you're politically minded or not. Um, And even if you're not and you have no interest on it, and even if you just had one eye in the news, you'll have heard a phrase, a popular phrase over the last uh, couple of years. And and whether it's used in the context context of battling the uh, economic deficit or whether it's used in in what the government call halting our moral decline, a lot of politicians use the phrase, we're all in this together. We are all in this together. And really, that's what Paul's saying. That's what he's saying in this part uh, of his letter to the Romans. We're all in this together. Because, you see, the church in Rome, this church that he's writing to, it was a kind of mixed bag. It was, the church in Rome had a number of Jews, but it also had a large contingent of Gentiles. And there was something of, yeah, there was tension between the two factions. So beginning here in this verse that we're looking at, verse 18, and then carrying on right through to chapter 3 and verse 20, right into these two groups. And he's saying, guys, we are all in this together. Paul is stressing the universality of inherent sin. He's saying that this godlessness that we've read of, this godlessness and wickedness of men, that it affects everyone. You see, 
chapter 1, verse 7. It's just the introduction, really, to the letter. Paul begins the letter and says, To all, to everyone in the church at Rome, to all in Rome. And then the bulk of chapter 1, he writes to Gentiles. The bulk of chapter 2, he writes to Jews. He gets to chapter 3, and he's summing it up, and he gets through to the end of chapter 3. And what does he say in Romans 3.23? You know it. I'm sure you know it. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So simply, who's in the firing line of God's wrath? Who is God's wrath to be poured out against? Well, it is you. And it is me. It is all mankind. We have all sinned. We have all suppressed knowledge of God. And we are, verse 20, we are without excuse. So who deserves to face God's wrath? We do. We all do. All mankind. Okay, third question. And that is, how is the wrath of God poured out? We've seen what it is. We've seen who it's poured out uh, against. Now we see how uh, the wrath of God is poured out. Let me ask you, um, when you hear that phrase, God's wrath, What springs to mind? What picture do you have when you hear of God's wrath? I bet you think of lightning bolts. Uh, Perhaps, if not, then uh, maybe a Hollywood uh, disaster movie. What about the day after tomorrow with uh, its its scenes of natural disasters and apocalyptic scenes? And even if you're thinking a bit more spiritually, let's say, What about Ananias and Sapphira? People who have displeased God and who dropped dead. Well, some of that's right, isn't it? But it's not necessarily what God's wrath looks like. And let's think about this. Let's think about two things here about how God's wrath is poured out. And the first one is that God's wrath is poured out in the present it's poured out now it's poured out in the present because we need to pay attention to the tense of a word in verse 18 so if you look at verse 18 it says the wrath of god is being revealed is being revealed and that's the present continuous tense eh? so his wrath is current it's happening now, and it is something that is ongoing. It's present and ongoing. And I don't know, when I was reading through that, you may have picked up on this, and you may not. But in the remainder of chapter 1, there's a phrase that is repeated three times. Paul uses a phrase three times. He keeps repeating it. And it's in verse 24, it's in verse 26, And verse 28. And each time it says, because of man's sin, God 
gave them over. He gave man over. You see, verse 24, he gave man over to sinful desires. Verse 26, he gave man over to shameful lusts. Verse 28, he gave man over to a depraved mind. There it is. There we see God's wrath in action. How does he act? He simply stands back. God's wrath in action is leaving us in our sinful state to just get on with things. He takes a step back and we, in our sinful ways, we, we degenerate into our wickedness and our sin and we just look outside into our society and we see that in action. God stands back. His wrath is poured out in the present. But there's a second thing in how God's wrath is poured out, and that is in the future. God's wrath is poured out in the future. Because this present revelation, this kind of continuous, ongoing revelation of God's wrath, that is just a foretaste of what will happen. Because you see, Paul's, Paul moves on. He moves on from here and he gets to chapter 2 and verse 5. And he speaks of a coming day of God's wrath. And it's crucial that we understand that. It's crucial that you hear this just now. That scripture speaks And it speaks very clearly and plainly of a day of judgment. Scripture speaks of a day of coming wrath. A day when man will be called to account. And those who haven't had their sin dealt with, that they will be judged. God, they stand in condemnation, stand to face his wrath. I don't know. Do you think that's, do you think that's make believe? Do you think that is nonsense? Is it fanciful? Well, the day, the time that that will happen is already set. God has marked that day. Acts 17.31 says, the day God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. What a thought that is. The clock is ticking down to a day of God's wrath. How somber that is. There is a present revelation, but there is, friends, a future day coming where God will judge the world. I read this week of a a report on global warming. It's not normally uh, what I read, but I did come across that. It was very interesting. And this report on global warming, it highlighted the fact that if the Arctic keeps eroding as it is, that there are serious implications for people who are living in Florida and the Florida coastline. Um, if the erosion continues, then water levels will rise and there will be a great deal of flooding in Florida. Now, 
I'm sure that the people who are living in Florida, they've all read and they've all heard about global warming. Who hasn't? But I'm also pretty sure that most of them will have put all that to the back of their minds, won't they? They'll have just continued uh, their lives as normal. And probably they are unaware that in about uh, 40 to 50 years, apparently, life as they know it would not be possible. They have put it to the back of their minds. So let's look at the fourth, the last question this morning. And that is, what are the implications of God's wrath? What are the implications of God's wrath? And we'll break it into two. And the first one is, what are the implications of God's wrath for the unbeliever? What's the implications of God's wrath to somebody who is not a Christian? And let's be blunt, okay? Because it is important on a matter as serious as this, and there is no other more serious matter. We have to be blunt and we have to be clear. If you are outside of Christ, if you are unrepentant, then you do stand condemned before God. You do at this time stand to face the wrath of an almighty God. It is as black and white and as straightforward as that. But is there any good news here? Is this just a a tale of woe for all humanity or not. Well, look, the Apostle Paul, he is painting a dark picture of humanity, isn't he? He's painting a, a dark picture in the first couple of chapters of Romans. Why? Well, he's done that so that we might appreciate the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, all the way through this series that we've been looking at, you know, the series and the attributes of God, all the way through, where have we seen the attribute most clearly? Whether it's holiness, whether it's love, whether it's sovereignty, where do we see it? We see it most clearly at Calvary. And never has that been more true than today. And with God's wrath. Where do we see God's anger at sin? Where do we see his wrath towards sin? Most clearly. It is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, remember last week if you were here. We looked at God's love, didn't we? We looked at First John chapter 4. And we looked at a word in Greek. It was the word helasmos. Do you remember that? Helasmos. Is translated there, atoning sacrifice. You see, why did Jesus die? He died to appease the wrath of God. He died to take that wrath that we've been looking at upon himself. Isn't that marvelous? That if we are in Christ, if we are believers, if we repent and trust in him, he has taken this wrath upon himself. 
So let me ask you, if you are not a Christian this morning, why not? Why not? There is a coming day of God's wrath. So flee from that and flee to Jesus Christ. And then we end with this. We end with a second implication, and it is the implication for Christians. Largely, I'm sure, we are a group of believers here. So what is the implication of God's anger and wrath at sin to us? Three words. First word, fear. Christian, fear your God. Because he is not your girlfriend. And he is not your granddad. He is a God of righteousness. And he is a God of purity. And he is a God of wrath. Second word. Tell. Tell. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11 Since we know what it is to fear God, we try and persuade men. I'll say that again. Since we know what it is to fear God, we try and persuade men. You see, friends, who cares if Christianity is a laughing stock? Who really cares if we're, a, if we're laughed at? You see, what is better, to be embarrassed and ridiculed or to remain silent when we know how our friends and our families can be saved from the wrath of God? Because people you know, people I know, they are dying in their sin. They are dying condemned to face the wrath of God. And we know how they can be saved. So fear, but tell. Christian, tell of your God. And tell people what Jesus has done for them. And then third, last word. Final implication. Last thing to say. Praise. Christian, praise your God. Because look at this. Look at what God has done. Look what he has done for us. We were steeped in our sin. We were bound for hell. We were going to eternal damnation. And he has intervened. And he has taken that punishment on himself. What a God he is. He is a God of purity. He does not tolerate any wickedness. And what a God that he would bear that wrath in our place. Now, does that not stir your soul? Does he not stir your very soul? And does he not stir your soul? to praise. Let's pray.